desires for all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is only one God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. God, I just thank you that uh, over this last past few days that we got to celebrate a birthday, your birthday, Lord Jesus. And we wouldn't be gathered together today if it wasn't for you, Father God, sending your only begotten Son to come to here, go through life, die for us so we might have salvation and, and eternal life with you. I, I thank you for the anointing that you place upon Jackie as he comes to give us the word. I just ask a special blessing on each and every one of us, Lord. Touch us where we need you the most. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Alright, so we're going to take a look, First Timothy chapter 2. It's interesting that we find ourselves coming up to New Year's, because in New Year's we often like to spend that time praying in the New Year, taking some time to really focus on, on, uh, on the Lord, and, and um, you know, when the rest of the world is doing something else for New Year's, trying to, to drown out what the past New Year's was like for some people, or what have you, we're going to have an opportunity to uh, make it about prayer. And as we think about that moving into the new year, and this is something that we've been doing at Calvary Chapel Buell for a while, but uh, and probably next Sunday will be the Sunday we kick off a 21-day fast, um, just to try to get our heads clear for the new year. And we, when we do these kind of things, we have these kind of opportunities to kind of focus on the Lord, you know, the, the, the whole concept of a 21-day fast is a Daniel's fast. And Daniel, when he didn't understand what was going on, and he looked at his world and he said, my world's a little crazy, I don't know what's going on, God, I'm having visions, I don't understand, he fasted for 21 days, which meant he just set himself apart to focus on the Lord. And a lot of us, when we think about the past year, we're going to say, you know, I want to spend more time with the Lord this year. I want to, I want to pray more. I want to read more. And it's a great opportunity to kick that off. Daniel's fast was a fast um, that was not uh, the, the loss of all food. Because I always try to encourage people, if you're going to try to focus on the Lord, then don't do something that's going to cause you to focus on whatever you're giving up. 
So if you say, I'm fasting from Facebook, but all you can do is think about not being on Facebook, don't do it. Because that doesn't work. The scripture declares to us, is this the fast that I declared, says the Lord? Uh, to, to, to give yourself away from things? The Lord said, here's the fast I want. I want a fast where you, you focus on me. So whatever you can do that's going to give you opportunity to focus on the Lord, we're going to kick it off next week. And we're going to focus for 21 days. And we're going to say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in my world. Paul tells us this morning, the first thing I want you to do is what? First of all, pray. Yeah, our world's in a mess. You don't notice that? It's, it's a little messed up. And we would like to see that uh, we... God's people, at least, are prepared and in sync with what he's doing. Do you know what God's doing? I I know a lot of people think they know what God's doing. I don't always know what God's doing. So for for me, what I want is I want to be on God's page. So if God's page is, hey, uh, it's time of judgment and uh, you're going into captivity for 70 years, then I'm going to do what he said in Jeremiah 29 when he said, hey, pray for the peace of the city, uh, work hard, plant, grow, have a family, live, but you're going to live in a time of judgment. Then so be it. But I want to know that's what God's doing. Does that make sense? And like Daniel, how am I going to know? Daniel was confused. God, (laughs) what's going on? So we're going to try to get our eyes focused on him. And so it's just interesting because when I plan out the places that we're going, I never look at the calendar because it would be pointless. I'm never really sure when I'm going to finish a book and when I'm going to get to the next one. Sometimes it's a couple years. Sometimes it's a couple of months. But we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul begins with a priority of prayer. And he says, first of all then, I urge. It's hard to make that more emphatic. So the first thing I want to urge you to do, the first thing that I want to, to urge is that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now there's going to be a, a theme, and if you we can't separate... 1 Timothy chapter 2 from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remember when Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's in Ephesus. Ephesus has a reputation. Now, we understand a little bit more about the reputation when we read Revelation chapter 2. But one of the things that Ephesus was good at was sniffing out false teachers. Now, at this time, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, you guys got to get better at sniffing out false teachers. There's some issues coming in, creeping into the church that, that people were beginning to deny a lot of the mission work that Paul was doing. And there was, there's always this thing, guys. There's always this, this, uh, reaction in the church as we, as we grow. There's a danger that we fall into some version of self-righteousness that says, now, now somehow I have uh, attained to a holiness that, that these other people just don't have happens all the time. When I was doing youth group, and youth group is an easy way to, to see this. When I taught youth group in California, we had a, we had a big youth group back then. We had probably better than 100 kids, and that was 20-some years ago. So we had a 
big youth group, a lot of kids coming on. I would always have kids do the same thing. Kids that were really getting it, and they're, they're starting to understand their pursuit of the Lord and wanting to really worship and wanting to do all these things, they would come to me and say, we, we can't come to youth group anymore because all these other kids, they don't have it. They don't get it. And I'd be like, you know that, that, that messes with the logic of my mind. Because God said that we're to be an example in word and deed. Not to withdraw ourselves from those whom we think don't measure up to the level of holiness or righteousness or getting it that we have. But this is what we do. We, we withdraw ourselves from, from a body that we think doesn't measure up. Now, the way that worked in their world was typically Gentiles didn't get it. And the Jewish believers, they have all this... Uh, legacy, right? This, this heritage that they're falling back on. This, the, this idea of we really get what it is to, to, to worship and know the Lord. And so there was this desire for division. We know when we read the, the book of Corinthians, right? That, that Paul is writing it, um, near the same time. This idea that there was divisions in Corinth that was brought about because people were aligning themselves with certain teachers. Well, I'm, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I don't. Need, I don't use his his uh, other name. You know, we want to we want to use the, the name Cephas because because that way nobody knows we're talking about Peter or whatever the things were. Other people say, well, well, we're about Christ, and we find these things to divide over. Okay, so because that's some of the issue, and Paul's writing to Timothy, saying, "Hey, you got to you got to watch out for these guys who have crept in." Remember, this is how we began. These guys who are are, are a part of what's going on. Jude warned. Uh, Peter's going to warn. We got these guys that have been a part. You got to you got to sniff that out. Now, here's the problem with Ephesus. They got so good at sniffing out a heretic that they, they left their first love. So they got really good at being a heretic hunter. This is the other thing. This is the other side of the pendulum, right? One side of the pendulum, we want to tolerate everything. And whatever we tolerate, we encourage. And so therefore, lives don't change. Nothing really happens when people in the church looks just like uh, the world. That's one side. The other side is we get so legalistic and unloving, nobody wants to be a part. You guys get it? Two opposite sides. That's neither, both are, are not okay. So we want to, we want to find the ability to call out sin for what sin is. Hey, that's not okay. We want to have the ability to receive criticism and, and to receive a rebuke and then respond the way the Word of God says. How are we supposed to respond? What does the Word of God tell us to do if we're rebuked? If, if I find myself, I've done something wrong, and somebody comes to me and says, hey, you did this, and uh, you know this offends me, or this is a sin, brother, what's the Bible tell me to do? Should I, I should drop on my knees, beat my breast, and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That should be the response. Not to defend myself, but to just drop. Now, Paul's given us the, the clue of how all these things work out, because he says, first of all, I urge you pray. Jesus said this, men ought always to pray. And here's the, here's the caveat. Here's the reason why he, he challenges all men everywhere to pray so that you don't lose heart. Anybody ever feel like you losing heart? Like, why am I doing this? What's the difference? What's the point? We all do that, right? 
So, so Paul's call to them is to pray. And I want you to recognize, who's he want them to pray for? All people. Now here's the focus. Paul saying the, the church in, in Ephesus is, is got some issues, some people that are trying to cause division and, and he's, he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, you gotta, you gotta deal with these things because they are not accepting that mission outreach attitude that Paul has where he's trying to be the apostle to go out to the Gentiles. In other words, these people are looking and saying, well, that person can't be here. And that person shouldn't be here. So he's saying, I want you to go out for how many people? All people. Now, what's his emphasis? Don't miss this, please. His emphasis is to go out for all kinds of people. We're not universalists. He's out for all kinds of people. Kings and everybody else. People in authority, people without authority, all kinds of people. The Lord wants us to have uh, an outlook for all kinds of people. So for every one of us, we've got a kind of people that we don't like. Right? There's, maybe there's one or two people here saying, oh no, I just like everybody. I, you haven't had me over to your house for dinner, so I don't know if that statement's true. <clears throat> so we all have this this thing, and what we have to be careful of is that we don't allow our own prejudices to stop us from praying for people. You know, the first time this really became evident to me, it's been a couple of years since Sammy's been out, but Sammy Tanago came out, he does a, a ministry to Muslims. And prior to really thinking about that, I, I probably was way more um, closed. I, I didn't really care. And I don't think ever in my prayers was I praying for the, the Muslim refugees that I have opportunity to talk to that are out in our area. Or for the guys in other places around the world that are kind of deceived and going around killing people. And, and Paul says, first of all, I urge you, supplications, prayers be made for all people. And we look around at our world and we say our world never changes. Everything stays the same because God's people have lost heart. Why? Because they won't pray. One of the greatest disciplines within the Christian life is prayer. Prayer. Spending time talking to God. Recognizing what is it that, that God is telling me? What does God want from me? And what's He want us to do? He wants us to pray for all people, all kinds of people. Oh, I don't care. If you're a Democrat, you should pray for Republicans. Stop yelling at them. If you're a Republican, you should probably pray for Democrats. Stop yelling at them. Because last I checked, our entire government is not working because of the divide in our nation. Our entire government doesn't work, nobody's doing anything. The Democrats are saying, get rid of Trump, let's get rid of Trump, let's get rid of Trump. And so the whole four years are spent trying to get rid of Trump. And they've done nothing. And the Republicans did the same. And before you say, oh no, we don't do the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember the Clinton era. You know what happened in the Clinton era? We impeached, we impeached him. Who? We, we I say we, because I'm currently a Republican. So, 
So the Republicans impeach him. This is a game we have been playing ad nauseum. We don't do nothing. We spend all our time. And there are issues that ought to divide us. The sanctity of life is a big issue for me. So all life is precious. I don't care what kind of life it is. All life. And so because of that, I find myself on one side. Now, I do go out to Planned Parenthood, and I will stand on the corner. But I also pray for every single woman who goes. Now, their view of me might be, oh, that guy's one of them people, one of those guys, you know. And, and they may hate me and th- want to throw tomatoes. Whatever. But I'm going to pray for them. Every single one that walks in. Because I don't know their story. And I don't know what they're going through. And I don't know what's happening in their life. And Paul tells me, he urges me to pray for how many people? All people. Even the people I can't understand what they're about to do. Maybe. We'd see actual change in our nation if we took our faith seriously. And it was more than just an opportunity for a social gathering. First of all, pray. Make supplication. Supplications is a petition. Go before the Lord and intercede for people in some way. Prayers is always, whenever prayer is connected with the word supplication, because those two words are synonymous terms, but the Bible uses them connected often to make prayer and supplication, make prayer and supplication, which means the idea of that is describing prayer, the activity of prayer in the fullest possible way. So the emphasis is like, man, I I just really want you to be focused on prayer. I want you to be focused on making intercession. That means we stand in the gap for some people. We stand in the gap for someone, right? We we want to, to, to... intercede on their behalf. I think it's interesting that because one of the greatest pictures we have in Scripture about intercession is 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 Abraham, right? Abraham and Lot divided. Lot went down and decided to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. That probably was not his, his brightest moment. He didn't have a whole lot of bright moments at all, actually. But <clears throat> he went down to to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the and the Lord, he he and uh, meets with Abram. Remember, Abram's sitting, kicking back, talking to God, and he says, "Yeah, I'm going to send these two angels. They're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah." And he's thinking, "Oh, I, I have people there." And so, what does Abraham do? He intercedes for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, will you destroy them if there's fifty righteous? No. Forty? No. Thirty? No. Twenty? What if there's only 10? I won't destroy it if there's 10. You know, Abraham, maybe he's counting Lot and his family, maybe not. Maybe Abraham's thinking there's a way to be righteous apart from God's declaration of righteousness upon us, but we should know better than that, no? Are there any righteous? No not one. But still he's interceding. He's standing in the gap for God who's coming in judgment, right, Lord? Lord, 
Would you forestall your judgment? What's Jeremiah doing for the nation of Israel? And you read the book of Lamentations. You have Jeremiah spending his entire ministry begging people to stop. Begging people to change their direction. Begging people that God's judgment has come. It, we're entering into a time of judgment. It's, it's too late to do all this other stuff. Lay down your swords. On the day when the siege is going on around Jerusalem and, and mothers are, are watching their children die of starvation for their own stubbornness. Jeremiah is walking through the town, knocking on the doors, telling them, look, they have food. If you walk out of here and surrender, they'll feed you. Your baby doesn't have to die. But there was such a patriotic spirit in the nation of Israel, they wouldn't surrender. They wouldn't accept this was a time of God's judgment. And they watched their children die. All the while God saying, you don't have to die. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. People sometimes find themselves in such a place of stubbornness. And so what did Jeremiah do? What's he doing? He's walking through weeping. Weeping over the people. He's so fed up with the people. He says, God, I don't, I, God tells him, stop praying. Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. What does that mean? That means Jeremiah was praying for the people who wouldn't listen to him over and over and over again. I urge you that you pray for all kinds of people. First of all, making intercession, standing in the gap, generally for all people, but specifically, what's he, what's he talk about? Pray for kings and those in authority over you. That we should recognize that authority was something God created, right? That's part of God's order. And there ought to be a respect for that position of authority. Now, that does not mean that there's never a time... For people to, to stand up before the magistrates and call them to repentance. God's prophets did it all the time. Right? When God called Jeremiah, we said, Jeremiah, I know you're young, but I'm going to send you to the king. What do you think that's like? How's that go for us today? Okay, well, God told me to go to the king, so, so I'm going to the White House, see if I can get a meeting with President Trump. Tell him God's calling him to repentance. That's, that's exactly the way God told Jeremiah. Go talk to the king. So Jeremiah's like, oh, okay. I don't know if I, I don't know how to talk, God. You notice God's people do this a lot. Uh, I don't know how to talk. I've heard that a lot. Moses said it. Jeremiah said it. It's nothing new. Go. Stand before the magistrates. Call them to repentance. Be respectful. Honor the position. But listen to what God said to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29.7. Why does God want us to pray for the kings? Why does he want us to call the nation to repentance? Why does God want us to focus on these things? He says, Jeremiah 29.7. To the people that Jeremiah is talking to, who God said, judgment has come. You're going, no matter what. Lay down your swords. But listen to what he says. Seek the welfare of the city to which I have sent you as exiles. Seek the welfare of the city. He's saying, look, I want you to pray for Babylon. What do you mean pray for Babylon? They're conquering us. They're, they, they took my family away. 
they took my children and put them in chains and they went over there and my wife, she's over there and now I'm over here and I don't know if I'll ever see him again. But God says to them, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for Babylon. Pray for your kings, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Here in the scripture he's laying out for us, look, I want you to pray for kings and for those in high positions that we may lead peaceful and a quiet life. Now that's not pragmatism. It's not just so your life is good. There's a point that Paul's trying to make. The ability for Paul's mission statement to take place requires life to have a a certain kind of peace in it so he can do what he's trying to do. So he can share the gospel. Listen, if there's no peace, if you're living in Sudan right now, and you're thinking about, I don't know where my next meal's coming from, and or if the guy I try to go get food from is going to shoot me, or what's going to happen, it's a little harder to be evangelistic. If life's a little more peaceful, it's easier. I'm not thinking, where's my next meal come from? Here's the reason why maybe the United States is under judgment today. Because you've had peaceful, quiet life for a long time. And the United States has been very missional. But the more we close the door to those things, the greater opportunity. The Lord says, you've had peace and quiet. What are you doing with your peace and quiet? That we may have peaceful and quiet lives, but not only, not for, for me, that we can spend our life in a godly and dignified way. What does that mean, to, to spend our life in a godly, dignified way? Well, you tell me, what is it that God wants you to do? Well, there's this great suggestion at the end of Matthew, right? Now what it is, the great, that, that what we call it, the great suggestion? The great suggestion, go into all and make, yeah, that's a great suggestion, right? It's called the Great Commission, isn't it? God says, go therefore to every nation and make disciples. Make disciples. Nobody, you don't have to be a theologian to accomplish that, right? You don't, you don't have to be a theologian to tell somebody your God story, what, what God's done for you, how God's worked in your life. Being a witness is someone who is willing to live out their faith. That's what the word witness means. The Greek word for witness is the word martus. It sounds like another word, right? Martyr. Martyr became known for the word of those who die for their faith. But the Bible says, God says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Martus. Be a witness who lives his faith. To be honest, in a lot of ways, I I think it's easier to die. I just have to make one good choice one time. To live your faith requires you to make that choice how many times? Over and over and over. God doesn't say, you know what I really want you to do is die a horrific death for me. No, he doesn't tell you to do that. He wants you to live a heroic life. 
live a heroic life for me. And, and how am I going to live a heroic life for him? I'm going to be a man of prayer. I want to walk in godliness. That means I, that does, that's not an idea of, of I want to somehow attain righteousness. It means I want to do what God's asking me to do. I want to live my faith. God's asking me by faith to, to be a certain type of person who cares about all people, who prays for all people, who will share his faith with those uh, that the Lord puts before them. And so to live in all godliness is not that I wear a tie and a suit and I, and I sing the right songs or I, or I memorize the right things. It's that I live my faith. Not in a vacuum. Just in reality. Just live out who we are. Why? He tells us in verse 3, For this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now earlier I told you all means all kinds of people, right? We're still talking about all kinds of people. God wants all kinds of people saved. All kinds means whatever people group you have in your mind right now that you think God can't save. All kinds of people means whatever that that political group or whatever, you know, there's a there's a lot of of tolerance preaching happening from the world, very little of it is actually happening, just words, but apparently that's all that matters anymore. But we look at it and we say God is desiring that all kinds of people get saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. That's LGBTQ, NML, KJIHG, FED, CBA. It's all of it. Everyone. God is desiring that all kinds of people, and, and so what is he tying that to? That, that this is good, it's pleasing in the sight of the Lord when you actually live out your faith. Not just, not just say, I believe. That's the easy thing. That's easy. But when you, what you say and what you do become one, that I say I believe and then I, I, I walk like that. Like, like Paul's encouraging Timothy. Look, man, they're, they're losing their mission statement. They don't want to reach out to this person, this person, this person. And I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm going to the people nobody wants to go to. Who did Jesus go to? He went to the people who knew they were sick. Who knows they're sick? You go out to Skid Row, had opportunity in the youth group days, go out to Skid Row. There is not one person on Skid Row who doesn't know they're a wreck. So when you go out to Skid Row and you talk to them, they have no problem with understanding that they need a physician. Jesus said, I've only come for the sick. I haven't come for the well. Because people who think they're okay, they don't want me. And that's where the world is when they are rejecting him. So what is good and pleasing? That I'm praying for all kinds of people. That my desire and God's desire line up, right? If it says God desires that all kinds of people get saved, then, then what should my desire be? All kinds of people. Does all kinds leave out a certain kind? So that means all kinds. You're kidding me. Yeah, it means all kinds. That they are all. 
He desires all kinds of people are saved and that they come to the knowledge of truth. That all kinds of people come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, how do all kinds of people come to the knowledge of the truth? How will they know if you do not tell them? How will they know if if someone's not sent? But here's what we do when I say church, I don't mean Calvary Chapel Buell, I just mean the church as a whole. Here's what we do. We isolate ourselves in our four walls and we think about all those crazy people out there that are so messed up. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I'm not telling you to tolerate sinful behavior. I'm just saying, here's what I want you to do. Pray for all people. Kings and normal people pray for your leadership that you have the freedom to be able to be missional that you have the freedom to to share look the day's coming when you're not going to be able to tell someone the truth that'll be a crime you think i'm lying it's already that way in canada it's you can't i can't go out and proselytize in israel do you know that that's a crime I can't share the gospel in Saudi Arabia. That's a crime. But you have peace and quiet for now. But it won't stay that way. How will they know if you don't tell them? And how can you tell them when it's a crime? If we're all in jail, we're not going to have anybody to talk to. But right now, it's not that way. Right now, we do have open doors. Right now, we're able to do the things that God has provided us opportunity to do. So, we want to see truth. We want to see salvation because it's good and it's pleasing. Listen to what God said. Paul's tying this to an Old Testament idea. Listen, and and you shall do what is right. Deuteronomy 6.18. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. That you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your father. So, so in Deuteronomy saying, here's the, here's the law. These are the things that are good and right to you. Now, now what is it that, that Paul's tying that to? Paul's no longer saying, well, here's how to be good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Keep the law. No, what did he say? Here's how to be good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Pray for all kinds of people. See, Jesus Christ is going to tell us in a minute is the one who has torn down the wall that separates, right? He's going to focus on this idea because it is God who is our Savior. He's the one, so he's tying this, because he ties this legal framework of the Old Testament together with this idea of prayer. He's saying prayer has replaced sacrifice for the messianic people to live a life pleasing to God. You used to bring a lamb or a dove. You don't have to do that now. He just urges you to pray. Because when I'm praying, I'm saying what I say and what I do are starting to line up. Are you tracking with me? What I'm saying, what I'm doing is, is starting to line up so that salvation will come to all kinds of people. So that all kinds of people will come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So understand what is true. Why? Then he goes right into the Shema. He goes right into this idea in, in verse 5. For there is one God. Now, I like. I wish there was a, a smoother way in English to say it and how you're supposed to say it. But I think the smoothest way to say it is this. God is one. God is one. Now why is he saying that? Because this is something that the children of Israel would do whenever they went in. When they went into captivity in Babylon, Babylon's full of, of gods. Everywhere you look, there's gods here, gods there, gods everywhere. I've been to, to Rome. What does Rome have? Gods everywhere. Gods here, gods there, gods there. Idols, statues every place, multiple uh, temples. It doesn't matter how many of those temples, the church tears down the God that was on there, and then they put up a pope. It's still, that's what it was built for, right? It was gods, gods, gods. Greece, gods, gods, gods. What did the Jews say when they went in there? They went in and said, God is one. There's not 500 gods. There's not 3 million gods. There's not all these other gods. There's one God. Now, what they didn't understand when they said it, when they said God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. He is one God. When they made that declaration, what they didn't hear, what they didn't understand is that means all nations must come to what? One God. There's only one name under heaven by which all men, what? Must be saved. There's only one place to go. So when Paul says God is one, he's saying there's one place. There's one place for salvation. And then immediately after he says God is one, he says, and the mediator is one. Now there's nothing in the grammar of this sentence that, that, uh, that links God is one and mediator is one. What links them is the term and the concept of mediator. What do I mean? Well, so I don't know. Let me think of a simple way. Let's say Levi, I'm going to pick on you guys, sorry. Levi and Amanda have an argument and they need to decide. In that argument, they need mediation. We need somebody to come and mediate for us. Now, because they love their dogs, they might use a dog. But most of us don't use a dog for a mediator. Why not? What does a dog have in common with the people for whom it's mediating? Do you understand? A mediator requires the ability to put your hand in the hand of two parties. None of us go to court to fight something out in court and say, we're going to let a dog decide. Who do you set up as a judge? Is it a human being? So far, right? Yeah, it's a human being. Why? Because the judge can stand in the gap for the two parties and make judgment between the two parties, yes? So he has the ability to be able to, in in essence, put his hand in each hand and his judgment is designed to bring those two together. Yes? So Jesus Christ has to be able to put his hand in God's hand and his hand in man's hand. That's what mediation is. One God by whom all must be saved. One mediator through whom all must come to salvation. It's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. The Lord declared, I alone am a Savior. There is no other God but me. I alone am Savior. Yahweh is the Savior. Jesus said, 
that he was our Savior. If Yahweh is our Savior and Jesus says he's the Savior, then who is Jesus? Yeah, it's not complicated. Jesus is Yahweh. He makes the declaration multiple times in Scripture. There's one God through whom or by whom everyone must come to salvation. That reconciliation. Now when we study Jude, you remember at the end of Jude, what is at the end of Jude that this incredible declaration that is made? That it is Jesus' extreme pleasure to present you, to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless, blameless before the Father. That's his joy. What is that? Mediation? It's not my righteousness. I'm not going to be standing up there spotless, just so you know. Nobody is going to be standing up there spotless. You know, God, I lived a perfect life. And so I don't need your son for mediation. No, I need his son for mediation. His son covers me. So when I arrive there, and I stand before God, and he throws his arms around me, the next thing he's going to do is clothe me in his righteousness. He's going to put a robe on me, so that I can come into the marriage supper, right? He puts that robe on me, and he brings me before the Father. And he says, Abba. Jackie, look how clean he is. Look how spotless he is. Why? Because Jesus Christ has covered me. He has mediated for me. He's mediated a a better covenant, Hebrews tells us. One that can save. He does it. He has accomplished it. There's one God. So there's one God, Paul's making the declaration, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, oh, again, we're still in the same, the same concept. He's talking about all kinds of people. There's not somebody that you can throw out. You say, not that guy, not that guy, can't be for that kind of guy, can't be for that kind of guy. No, for all kinds of people. All kinds. Nobody left out Nobody. He gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, the idea of God is one is this idea that then all people have access to one God. The idea that the mediator is one is then that same, that all people have access to the mediator. So Paul's saying, so if all people have access and all people have to come to one God, then then we have to be a people willing to reach out to all people. Right? Because you can't tell by looking at them. You don't know. So where do we go? We go to them all. And we share the God story. Now how do we accomplish that? Well, we go back to the beginning. What did Paul tell us to do in the beginning? Then I urge you, pray. Make prayer and supplication with intercession and thanksgiving. All these things ought to be a part as we seek the Lord. And what are we seeking the Lord for? We're seeking the Lord for all people, for their hearts to be open. For their, for, what, did, what did Jesus tell them to do? He says, if you come into somebody and they reject you, do what? Just kick the dust off your feet and keep going. You're not responsible to save anybody. 
You can't. Who does the saving? The Lord does it. So, so take the weight off of your shoulders that you try to put on there and say, well, I want to share, but if I say it wrong, I'm going to screw it up. No, you don't get to screw it up. The commission is just to go and tell and let God do the work. Let God do bring salvation. Let God save. You go and say, hey, repent. Put your, put your trust in the Lord. I'm, 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 I'm standing in the gap for you. No matter what kind of person, no matter how many pointy things they have sticking out of their face. I used to think I was, I was pretty open. You know, I, I have a uh, weird willingness to be around strange people. That's why I get along with so many of you. And so, what, but I used to think, oh man, I don't have a problem with nobody. Uh, I, you know, I don't care what they look like. I have tattoos. I have friends that have so many tattoos. They have tattoos on top of their tattoos. They have so many tattoos. They have, I've, I walked in the, to, to Circle K and there was this dude who had his, he looked like a pin cushion. His eyebrows were all little pointy things sticking out of his eyes. Um, and then he had like some ridge of horns on his head. You know, he was going with the, like, Howard's got like 47, the guy who read, right? He's got like 47 piercings in his face, something like that. This guy had all kind of thing. Everything, every piercing was, a, was threaded. So he screw in these things, which had to be painful, seems like. And I, so I thought I was pretty open to all kinds of people. And I seen this dude and I was like, whoa. He's outside my box. I don't know. I don't, ah, just kind of stood back. Like, he really had me pretty freaked out. And then uh, it was funny because uh, almost immediately the Lord's like, why? Why's that got you freaked out? What's different? Uh, there's a lot of different people. People like different kind of music, like, like to do different things, whatever. There's a lot of things. And sometimes our, our differences are sin. But it's okay to, to call out sin. There's lots of sin, right? So when, when we sin, what God says, call a man to repent. Hey, repent. I don't hate you. I might be the only one on earth who actually cares about you. Because everybody else is just going to say, do what you want, and then you die, and that's all there is. I actually believe there's something else. So I want to say, no, don't, don't do that. Repent. Put your trust in Christ. Follow him. Stand in the gap for all kinds, even if they got metal everywhere sticking out of their face. <clears throat> we want to do that. Why? Because it is God's Joy to see sinners repent. Don't you want to make God happy? Sometimes I think, I, I, you know, I'll catch myself. Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Do you ever catch yourself in that? Here's what God wants. God wants a sinner to repent. Now, how do you get a sinner to repent if you don't say anything? I've, I've just sat back. Okay, Lord. 
There's a sinner. Yeah, sick him. What are you going to do to him, God, to make him repent? And a lot of times I just think God's sitting there, well, I brought you here. Just so you know, it's hard. It's hard to look at somebody who's already made the decision. I'm going to terminate my pregnancy today. It's hard to watch them when they walk by and squeak out the voice. Hey, don't do that. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's another way. What am I asking them to do? Change their direction. They're walking into a door for death, right? I just want them to turn around and choose what? Life. Now, look, I, I'm, I don't mean, I just pick on that because it's easy. But I don't mean to say life's not complicated. For sure, life's complicated. Okay? I get life's complicated. But standing on the other side of the equation, just so you know, some of you know where I come from, but, but I, I paid for and took young women to two abortions. I have at least two babies in heaven from my own choice. So I'm telling you from the other side, just so you know, that didn't make all my problems go away. It just made new ones. And it didn't stop me from becoming a father. Just stopped me from being a good father. Now, I don't know what would have happened if there had been somebody out to me on those days. I probably would have hated them. I promise from the world I was in in that time, I might have cussed them out. But I can tell you as an old man looking back, I wish there was somebody there. Now, just remove yourself from all the emotion of that, of, of abortion. Just remove yourself from that and just make it any sin. Because it's just like any sin. What is, what is it that brings God joy? When a sinner repents. How will a sinner repent if there's nobody there to talk to him? How does a sinner repent if we don't say, man, God's word is calling you to repent. Now, what will they all say? Do they all just go, oh, thank you for sharing? <laughs> well, do any of them say, thank you for sharing? Not very many. Not very many. And I can do it a lot of ways, right? I can do it, I can do it, this is, this is a mistake I think too many people make. I, I can do it a lot of ways. I can stand on one side of the street holding a, a, a sign and I can be yelling, Repent! Repent! Jesus didn't do that. Jeremiah didn't do that. Jonah did. If you want to be like him. But he's not the greatest example, right? 
When you think, I really want to be somebody who's obedient to God. I want to be Jonah. I want to be, I want to be fish vomit. No, I don't, want to, I don't want to choose. And he had a really bad attitude at the end when God forgave him, right? No, how, how is it that they did it? Listen to, listen to what Jeremiah did. Jeremiah wept for the people that he was trying to convince to change direction. You get the difference? It's not, it's not anger. It's not vitriol. It's not hatred. It is, it is sorrow. It is the heart of God. When he sees someone caught in sin. So Jeremiah, when, when Jeremiah cries, and he's calling the people to stop, lay down the sword, stop fighting against God. You can't win that fight. Just surrender and live. God wants you to live. You don't have to die. Nobody liked him for what he said. If there was Facebook then, he would have had no likes. <laughs> yeah, lots of, all those angry faces. Yeah, or worse ones. So, but, that's just, that's the heart of God. Don't you see that's his heart? That's his heart. Look, God's, God's the one. He's the master of, over the heart of man. So, so God will soften God can harden. I, I will leave that to the Lord. But what does he want me to do? He wants me to care enough to cry over people's sin. To pray for all kinds of people. To be willing to do the uncomfortable thing to say, repent. Repent. But Jackie, if I do that, they're never going to let me, they're going to, they're going to, kick me out they're gonna they don't want they won't i'll never get to say it again then you better say it once this is paul saying look this is god's heart now think about last thing we're, I'm, we're gonna pray i promise um just think about this the 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 people of ephesus they they got the message we want to be really careful about these false teachers and they got really focused on doctrine and theology which, which is not bad i i'm a theology doctrine nerd so and they and they really delved into it but what they left behind was the heart of jesus they left behind the heart of god well maybe their doctrine was perfect but when when jesus wrote his letter to ephesus which is where timothy's at when he receives this letter from paul he says, man, I commend you. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. You know how to stick to good, solid doctrine and theology, but you left your first love. And I think this is, this is that heart of God. It's not, it's not a, a being right. I love a good debate along with anybody, you know, and, and sometimes I find myself in them, but just... Since I already have been harping, I don't mean to harp on this, but but one day I was standing out at, at Planned Parenthood and someone was super angry and they pulled up and just started screaming at us out the window, you know, because we're guys. There's no, there's not very often is there any women who stand out there, so it already looks kind of oppressive 
And, and so that's how a lot of people feel about it. And anyway, she pulls up and, and, and back then we had signs and the, and the signs were graphic. And so she didn't like that. And so she pulled up and she started just yelling out the window. She's at the curb right beside me. So <clears throat> I am, I'm thankful for all the ways I think God has, has trained me for something like this. And I just knelt and did exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says a soft answer turns away. And I, I was not emotional at all. I listened to her and I spoke softly. And in about, I don't know, a minute or two, she softened. And it's probably the best conversation I've ever had outside of Planned Parenthood. It didn't start that way. But I remember afterwards, and I, I definitely don't mean this as a boast, because I would never boast in that, but it really felt like that day I really had the heart of God. I didn't get mad. I told her the truth. I told her the truth in a very loving way. I called her to, to repent and believe. And our conversation didn't necessarily end with her saying, well, yes, I will, and us praying a prayer on the, on the corner of the street. But it, it ended amicably. There was no vitriol when she, when she left. And then when, when she left, I, I felt like, okay, I did it. I did what you wanted me to do. Now that's a much more hostile environment than most of you will ever have to be in. Maybe. Your family might be more hostile than that. I don't know. <clears throat> but there's this thing, this is very, very satisfying feeling when you know you've been obedient to what God's asking you to do. And, and I just want to encourage you that when you feel that, that becomes your pursuit. I want to feel that more. Right? And so, so I, I want to do that more. But just like anything we do, it's not easy. They always say if it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody should. The good news is, God never leaves you on your own. He gives us this encouragement. Hey, I urge you, Pray. You want a place to start? Pray. You want another place to start? Set aside 21 days. What's it going to cost you? You've got 365 days. You can give God 21, can't you? 21 days. Pursue Him. Look for Him. Listen to Him. Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? And then you get the choice to be obedient or not after that. Right? Ask God to show you. We're at New Year's. We're all doing it anyway. We're taking our clothes off of our exercise equipment and we're saying, oh, I'm going to start getting on this thing and I'm going to start doing this stuff. We're doing it anyway, right? Let's just kick it off. See what God will do. Maybe he'll change everything in ways you didn't think was possible. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have 
I thank you that we do live peaceful and quiet lives and we are afforded the freedom as a result to share the gospel that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and that he wants to reach all kinds of people. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to use us cracked pots, jars of clay filled with treasure. Because Scripture declares that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He moves in. The treasure in our clay pot is Jesus. And when we just live out our faith, the thing that shines through the cracked pots is the treasure that's within. God, I know you're calling... You're calling us to pray. You're calling us to get our, our eyes focused. Maybe, maybe this is the year. I, I, you know, who knows what's, what's coming, what's happening. But I know you're calling us to get our eyes focused on you. I know you're calling us to pray. I know you're calling us to stand in the gap and be intercessors for all kinds of people. Even, even people we don't even know how to talk to. People that when we see their pictures on the news, we're filled with hatred. And, and that's, that's not necessarily how we're called. God, may, may we have the heart of Jesus, to go to the sick. If a man stands on a corner and says he's not sick, don't talk to him. Jesus went to the sick. He said, do you know you need a Savior? Oh, Lord, I'm a mess. So, God, I I just pray that we would be men and women willing to stand in the gap to call a nation to call ourselves to call local government to call any who will listen change our direction walk back toward the one true God lift our eyes to heaven and be reconciled through Jesus Christ his son that we that we might stand in his presence, not clothed in a righteousness of our own making, but in the righteousness that his son imputes upon us, who by faith call upon him as Savior. So God, uh, move in our midst. If there's anybody here today that that uh, doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, then Lord, I, take, I pray they take the opportunity as we sing our, our closing song. There will be prayer counselors up here. They want to pray with you. They want to help you. They want to hear all heaven rejoice when a sinner turns. There's people here that need to repent and get straight. There will be prayer people here to help. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would call the heart of men, that you would pull us to yourself, 
that you would empower us with your spirit as we go. And that you, even as you sent the disciples two by two, that you would empower us to go into the world and call all men everywhere. Make disciples of all men everywhere. Teach them the things, God, that you taught. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we would fulfill the purpose for which we have been sent. And Lord God, may you be glorified and magnified for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.